Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is Where We Live. I'm Patrick Scahill in for Lucy Nalpathanchel. A new report from Kaiser Health News says older Americans are hooked on vitamins, despite little evidence that they work. But vitamins and supplements are everywhere. A 2013 Gallup poll found more than half of Americans take vitamins regularly. And since 1999, the National Institutes of Health have spent more than $2.4 billion studying vitamins and minerals. But there's still a lot we have to learn about vitamins and how they can help or harm our bodies. You can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. Email wherewelive at wnpr.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Our guest today is Catherine Price. She's a journalist and author of several books, including Vitamania, How Vitamins Revolutionize the Way We Think About Food. She joins us today, joins us today from the studios of WHYY in Philadelphia. Catherine, hi. Hello. So we'll talk a little bit more uh, later in the hour about dietary supplements and sort of the difference between a vitamin and a dietary supplement, because I know it's a, a point of confusion. Um, but for starters, just tell us what exactly is a vitamin? Well, that's, that is a good place to start, <laughs> um, which does get us, get us to this dietary supplement thing pretty quickly. A vitamin um, is a substance that we need in a very small amount that we usually get from food that prevents a particular deficiency disease. So there's actually only 13 human vitamins, and that's the, the letters that we're familiar with, the A, B, C, D, E, K, and then there's eight of the B vitamins. And each of those are associated with a particular deficiency disease. For example, a lack of vitamin C will cause scurvy or a lack of vitamin D will cause rickets. And that's not the same thing as a dietary supplement, which is a much, much broader category that we can talk more about um, that contains at the moment in the U.S. something like more than 90,000 products. So a lot of times people use the word vitamin to mean both, but they're not actually the same thing. Right. And it can be very, very confusing for consumers. Uh, so, so we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but I guess uh, let's just focus on the science a little bit here. So uh, you had mentioned uh, scurvy, and maybe that's a, a good place to start uh, our understanding of what these vitamins are. Um, so just sort of explain scurvy and how that informed uh, what we know about vitamins and the way they work in our body. Well, scurvy is a really horrible disease that we normally, at least I, when I was started writing this book, associated with the age of exploration and sailors and something about, for me, for third grade. <laughs> it was yep. like, for that was one, and gums, your, uh, soft gums and your teeth falling out. Um, but basically, scurvy is this disease caused by a lack of vitamin C um, that results in your body not being able to form collagen, a, a connective uh, protein that's essential to basically keep our bodies together. The root of the word means glue. And so if you're not able to create uh, collagen, then your body will start to break down from within. So you end up with these horrible stories of these people on these long sea voyages where their their teeth would fall out, but there were all sorts of other horrible things of um, basically anything that should be connected starts to kind of fall apart. It's a very gruesome disease. But what's amazing about it and what's amazing about all of the vitamin deficiency diseases is that if you eat lemons or oranges or limes or a food with vitamin C, you can cure scurvy. And, and that's because vitamin C is essential in the production of collagen. You need to have it in order to make it. And so without it, you cannot create this essential component of your body. And that's true um, for basically most of the vitamins. Another interesting thing I, th I forgot to mention about the definition of a vitamin, though, is that it's strangely um, uh, tautological. or so It's like basically 
that vitamins were discovered and identified roughly around the same time, but they're not actually the same in terms of their chemical structure. And so it becomes increasingly confusing. Um, But actually, the word vitamin was coined by this guy, Casimir Funk, in 1911, just by mashing up two words, the Latin word for life, vita, and then amine, as in the chemical structure that he thought they all would turn out to be. And that's actually not the case. So people of that time actually thought we wouldn't still be using the word vitamin. Well, and I wonder if you can maybe talk a little bit more about the origins of the word itself. From reading your book, I understand it. I understand that at the time there were uh, other phrases, other words to describe A, B, C, all those different vitamins. One was like accessory food factor. I mean, these are not particularly evocative, but there is something that is is kind of special about the word vitamin in, in what it does to the human psyche. That's something I found to be very interesting as I was researching this book was to begin to realize the power of the word vitamin and that if they had been called anything else, then we wouldn't be having this conversation today and that (laughs) article would not have been written. So basically, I mean, people became aware that there were these diseases. It was a very long process, but they didn't know that there was a substance that could cure scurvy. They thought it was a bacterial infection or once bacteria had been discovered. So it took a very long time for people to identify that you could have a disease caused by something that's not there, which is a really strange concept if you think about it. So it was around the turn of the 20th century that the first, what we now know are vitamins, began to be isolated and discovered, quote unquote. And then, as I said, in 1911, there was this uh, this Polish biochemist who just came up with this word. And he was, he was working on what we now know as thiamine, vitamin B1, but he never actually isolated it. So his genius was really coming up with this amazing marketing term. But his colleagues in the field were not thrilled about this because they didn't necessarily agree that these substances would all turn out to be the same. And also they kind of wanted to own their own vitamins, what we now know as vitamins, that they were working on. So you have uh, suggestions like fat-soluble um, fat soluble A and water-soluble B. That was um, Elmer McCullum. All these people have great names. Elmer McCullum, who was working <laughs> on those two. You have food accessory factors, food hormones. Um, and basically in, in the early 20s, there was this moment where this British biochemist, Jack Drummond, was like, we should just, we need to figure out what we're calling these things, even though we don't think vitamin's going to last. But let's just chop off the E, because it had been vitamin with an E on the end of it. And he said, well, let's chop off the E, because um, they're not all amines, so that's not accurate. And then let's just combine that with the letters that we've begun to use to to talk about these. And that's how we ended up with the vitamin A, vitamin B, vitamin C thing. But he and his colleagues thought that wasn't going to last. They thought that was going to be, once more was known about the vitamins, we would just call them by more specific names and they wouldn't necessarily be grouped uh, together in the way that we we think of them today. So we learned that these vitamins are um, in certain types of fruit and certain types of uh, plants. I think one of the things that you say in your book, and correct me if I'm wrong about this, is the, the kind of the darker a green Maybe the more vitamins it has, because it can it can absorb more light. Um, uh, so I, I guess just the basic question I would have is kind of I know that vitamins are in plants, but where do they come from today? So they're in plants, but we're also making them. Do you mean like synthesizing like, them? Or yeah, making like them in ourselves? Fa- or? Yeah, you say in the book they they come from plants uh, that uh, grow in the ground, and then there's also plants like factories. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So from plants to plants. There you um, go. So plants, as in uh, growing organisms, make a lot of the vitamins. So uh, you know, humans can't make these these things or can't make most of them. We can make vitamin D, but that doesn't mean that that other species can't, you know, can't as well. Like for example, mm-hmm. vitamin C, we're one of the only species that can't make vitamin C. Fruit bats can't make vitamin C, uh, guinea pigs, and then 
us and then a couple of monkeys. <laughs> but everything else can make vitamin C. So for them, it's just ascorbic acid. It's not a vitamin at all. So plants do make vitamins, and they, they have purposes for the vitamins, as you're saying, like the darker colors. That, that's not really vitamins. would be other protective chemicals. But mm-hmm. the plants are making them for themselves. So we do get our vitamins from food sources. But since the 1920s and 30s, we've been able to synthesize the vitamins. And so the majority of vitamins that we Americans are consuming today in our food supply are actually synthetic vitamins that are either taken as pills or added to our food uh, through fortification or enrichment, which in some cases is actually literally spraying vitamins on food. Like I've gone to factories where I've seen these, they look like uh, dryers, like drying drums, and you see like cereal being spun around and then just this spray of vitamins being put on it. Which is a fascinating subject too, because we're basically taking out the vitamins by processing the foods. Like, because it, like a lot of in vitamins... the dryer, it's just spinning around, and then there's just yeah. like a, a mist of vitamins. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, exactly. And some of these places just smell really weird, depending on what other stuff you know they're spraying on things. Um, I remember, yeah, there was like a garlic supplement in the place I visited, and I remember it was very <laughs> smelly. Um, but uh, but yeah, because we take out a lot of vitamins when we're processing foods because vitamins exist in many cases in unstable, like in oils, and oils would make uh, flour go rancid. And so when you uh, process white flour, you remove a lot of those natural oils. But then in order not to cause massive vitamin deficiencies, they're added back in. So it's kind of a funny funny uh, situation. Yeah. So, uh, and you, right. And basically we're fortifying foods. And this is kind of setting up this paradox uh, that maybe you can lay out for us where we get to the point where we're at today, where we're eating a lot of these heavily fortified foods with vitamins, and we basically need these to say to say healthy, but they're also kind of enabling the bad eating habits that that might make us sick. Yes, and and I I like to clarify something. Um, we need vitamins. You know, when when headlines like the one you read say that they're not doing anything, if you're talking about vitamins, the thirteen vitamins, we absolutely need those. They're keeping us alive. We'd die if we didn't have them. But um, we are eating a lot of foods that have these synthetic vitamins that actually are enabling us to eat pretty bad diets. So for example, if you didn't have the ability to add back vitamins to heavily processed foods, then you would not you'd be at risk of, of vitamin deficiency diseases if you ate a normal American diet. If you ate lots of uh, processed uh, foods made with processed flour or um, potato chips or fast food, stuff that has heavily refined uh, ingredients to it, those would be completely nutritionally vapid unless they had vitamins added back to them. So in a way, they're kind of like propping up our bad eating habits. Though with that said, I actually don't know if we could support our population with, uh, at this point with vitamins that in foods that naturally contain them because we've moved so far towards corn, you know, corn and soybean and wheat and these crops that are used for the processed food. I don't know if you can walk me through a typical meal uh, that I might have. It's early in the morning here in Connecticut. So if I'm having breakfast, uh, is everything I'm eating fortified with vitamins? Well, I don't know what you had for breakfast. What you I had, had breakfast? That's a great point. So I had oatmeal. I had coffee. Um, I had blueberries. And I'm assuming they are not, but maybe I'm totally wrong. Um, yeah, oatmeal, coffee, and blueberries. Okay. Well, I don't think the blueberries have been sprayed with anything. Well, <laughs> they've probably been sprayed with something, but not with vitamins. Um, so those those are good with coffee. Um no, that's not fortified. There are some bean. I'm sorry, there's some vitamins in the beans, oddly, but I'm yeah. not sure how that translates into the coffee after they've been ground up and had boiling water poured through them. And then the oatmeal, what kind of oatmeal was it? Uh, gosh, I don't even know. I think it was apple cinnamon oatmeal from Trader Joe's. <laughs> 
Ah, uh, okay. So, well, very, very case, specific. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I mean, that would be a very much like they're really spraying it back on there. I would, uh, I'm not sure. I haven't looked at oatmeal labels recently. Do you remember if it said it had a lot of vitamins on it? Well, I, I don't know, but maybe talk a little bit more about that. So, so how can consumers, and we're going to get into this a little bit in the next segment here after the break, but how can consumers navigate all this stuff? Like, how do they know what foods are fortified, what aren't? Are there any rules of thumb that you would give on that? Well, first of all, I don't know if people really need to care too much about that and like because there's not really um when people get really into the question of should my vitamins, those 13 substances, come from foods that like synthetic or quote unquote natural versions, in most cases it doesn't really matter. And in some cases the synthetic parts are, are synthetic forms are actually easier to absorb. So I kind of caution people about getting too wrapped up in that. But um if you're looking at a food product and you notice that it has like ninety to hundred percent of a whole bunch of different vitamins, then it probably has been fortified. And uh, enriched flour, by definition, has been um, fortified, or sorry, it's had vitamins added back to it. So you can get some clues on the nutrition facts panel. But with okay. that said, there's lots of issues with those too. So <laughs> Okay. Well, I don't want to make the show all about my breakfast. So we're, <laughs> we're, we're going to take a quick break here. Uh, we are joined today by Catherine Price. She's a journalist, author of several books, including Vitamania, How Vitamins Revolutionize the Way We Think About Food. She's joining us today from the studios of WHYY in Philadelphia. I'm Patrick Scahill. I'm in for Lucy Nalpathanchel, and we'll be back after the break. good news to share about vitamins called chocks. They're just great to chew. Fresh fruit flavor, too. So good. That's chocks. I'm a talking horse, and my tip, of course, is to always count on chocks. Pillow shaped just so, colors all aglow. All yours with chocks. That's a commercial for Chocks. It's a chewable children's vitamin that was introduced, I think, in the 1960s. Uh, we found that just a, a few minutes before the show on YouTube. Uh, this is Where We Live. I'm Patrick Scahill, in for Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today, we are talking about vitamins and dietary supplements. We would love to hear from you. You can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. Email live at wnpr.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Joining us from the studios of WHYY in Philadelphia is Catherine Price. She's author of several books, including Vitamania, How Vitamins Revolutionize the Way We Think About Food. Um, and Catherine, I, want, I should have asked you this at the onset, but why did you get interested in this subject? Um, I got interested in this mostly because there was a day when my husband turned to me and totally out of nowhere said, what's a vitamin? And I tried to answer him, and then I realized I didn't have an answer beyond loose teeth and scurvy. And and then it, it did fit into my professional interest because I was – I mean, I do write a lot about food and nutrition, and I have type 1 diabetes, so I have to think about the composition of food in great detail anyway. But I was really interested to realize that I had never gone – I mean, I think about carbohydrates all the time, but I had never gone – down to the next level of these really minuscule components of food. And it turned out to be an amazing story with much broader philosophical, um, I guess, issues to it than I ever could have anticipated. 
Uh, so joining us in the studio now is Linda York. She's a uh, registered dietitian and certified uh, certified diabetes educator at UConn Health. Linda, welcome to where we live. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. So, uh, Linda, talk a bit about some of the best ways to get vitamins. What do you tell patients when they come in? Um, well, I see patients um, inpatient in the hospital or outpatient in the clinic, mostly in the clinic, diabetes, uh, weight loss, GI issues. And um, I like to look at the macronutrients first, take a good diet history, see how they're eating. Um, if they're depleted in one of the macronutrients, protein, carb, um, carbohydrates, or um, uh, salads, vegetables, mm -hmm. then I can kind of assume they might have some kind of um, lack of a certain uh, vitamin. Um, but I do focus first on the macronutrients, and from there... I'll take a look and see if there's potentially any vitamin deficiencies or mineral deficiencies. Um, at that point, I would um, talk to the physician about any of my concerns. And so we have macronutrients and we have uh, micronutrients. And is micronutrients another like fancy science word for, for vitamin, or do <laughs> I have that wrong? Well, um, the macronutrients, again, are your protein, carbohydrates, um, and your... Um, um, fruits and vegetables, mm -hmm. and um, the minerals are sort of, in the vitamins are sort of helpers in the digestion, absorption, the metabolism of all these nutrients. So they're vital because without them, we wouldn't be able to have the metabolism and the absorption that we need from these with these macronutrients. So they're like helpers. They're absolutely essential. So like helpers, and I wonder, um, Catherine, if you can kind of come in there. So um, we played that, that great commercial from uh, Chalks uh, talking about how vitamins can, can help children uh, be more healthy, I suppose. Um, talk a bit about how this was leveraged by marketers uh, during the 20th century, particularly here in America. Well, so vitamins, um, as we've been talking about, started to really be discovered in the teens and 20s, like the turn of the 20th century. And uh, interestingly, some of the people who were working on the discovery of vitamins also were writing for women's magazines, in particular McCall's, but other magazines as well. So there's this crossover already between scientists and the public. And so these scientists started to write about vitamins and the public became aware of them. And what's more, food marketers became aware of these vitamins. And at first, they didn't want to admit there was anything wrong with processed food because processed food was becoming more of a thing then. But then they realized, OK, you have these scientists saying there's these invisible, tasteless substances in foods that are needed in microscopic amounts. You cannot measure a vitamin with any kind of like bare hand situation and without which you'll die. And actually, we can leverage this to freak people out about the quality of their food and say that our foods contain these miraculous substances and therefore you should eat our foods. So there's these great commercials in the, I guess it wasn't commercial, the ads. I went through all these magazines and found all these ads from the 20s and the 30s for things like canned pineapple, which apparently you were supposed to eat multiple times a day. Um, <laughs> or there was even a Schlitz vitamin D beer. That was my favorite. I right. think someone should do that again. <laughs> that, that's a great idea. Um, was, so anyway, they manipulated yeah. our fear and our hope to get us to start gravitating toward foods that supposedly contained vitamins. It was a marketer's dream. Schlitz beer, uh, vitamin donuts, was that another one? <laughs> vitamin donuts. I actually, I don't think they actually came to fruition, but they made a great poster. This was during uh, World War II, vitamin donuts. I have I have a copy hanging in my kitchen, actually. It's these two cherubic really? children with, like, bright eyes, and they're just gazing towards these donuts and their thiamine-enriched donut. I mean, you know, the ultimate health food. But I did find vitamin-enriched donuts in my research and vitamin-enriched uh, buns. 
And yeah. probably, I mean, most donuts are made with enriched flour. So look, there you go. It's a health food. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, well, uh, Linda, I guess uh, talk a bit about sort of this idea of a food first approach when it comes to taking vitamins. How, how does that influence how you talk to patients? Well, um, with every patient I have, whether it be someone with celiac disease or maybe someone who has to lose weight or someone with the diabetes, I really refer to the plate, which I brought in here today, to kind of educate them on what a nutritious, healthy diet looks like. And um, so this it, is a blue plate. Yes, has has three little sections. Section. It's got so, kind of the big, it looks like a peace symbol almost. Yeah. So one, one big one at the bottom, two big ones, yeah, smaller ones right. on top. Yeah. So I try to do that first, and I explain why you need carbohydrates and why you need protein and why you need fruits and vegetables and why you should not have so much fat, which is that small section and uh, less processed foods, eat like 100 years ago, okay? Mm -hmm. So after I give them a general uh, nutrition class, basically based on the plate, um, I explain where the vitamins fit in in these sections. And after that, I take a thorough diet history of how they eat um, to see if maybe they're deficient in one of these areas. And after that, I educate them on the particular therapeutic diet they, that they need to be on, such as with diabetes, a consistent carbohydrate diet. Um, um, as educators of diabetes, we also talk about insulin and their medications as well. But maybe with somewhat celiac disease, even though I show them that they need these carbs, we now focus on gluten-free carbs. And maybe some of these, you might be deficient in iron if you've had a problem with malabsorption, um, which means diarrhea, basically, um, which you could have with certain um, surgeries, gastric surgeries, um, essentially. And uh, we see more of that in the hospital, but that is a potential. Um, the B vitamins you might not be getting as much of. Um, so you, I, I kind of assess their macronutrient intake, how they eat, um, if they eat too much fat. And then from there, I'll look at vitamins and minerals on top of that and then assess their exercise as well because I think that's just as important mm -hmm. and then go into the therapeutic diet that fits them. Uh, some people just want to see me to for me to give them their blessing on how they're eating and if there's any... How, do, how does that go normally? It goes really well, <laughs> okay. but um, they tend to have a large, a long list of vitamins mm -hmm. and minerals that... Um, I tend to focus on the food first, you know, right. because, of course, and Catherine can talk about this, certain uh, vitamins can be, um, the fat solubles especially, mm -hmm. um, can be dangerous to the health versus the water solubles. So um, I tend to talk about that. And mm -hmm. so uh, when you're taking this uh, large inventory, um, mm -hmm. Linda, so we, yeah. we've been kind of conflating, and I apologize to Catherine because I know okay. this bugs her, the, the term vitamin and dietary supplement. Uh, so maybe, maybe Catherine, now's the time to sort of uh, differentiate yeah. between the two there. Mm -hmm. So if Linda's describing people coming in, they're taking uh, vitamins, they're taking dietary supplements, what, what's the actual difference there? Well, I think I think actually we've been doing a pretty good job of it. Oh, okay. That's <laughs> yeah. Great. I mean, so well, vitamins are the thirteen <laughs> chemical: the A, B, C, D, E, K, eight yeah. B vitamins. Then you've got the minerals, which are also essential. Essential meaning that you need them or you mm -hmm. will die. <laughs> okay. Yep. Right. And you're, and then you have this huge category of dietary supplements, and that's everything from omega three fatty acids and like a. Uh, curcumin to truly crazy stuff like a Black Widow Extreme Energizer powder or <laughs> things like that. I'm kind of making that. Well, actually, there is a product that goes by the name Black Widow, which I'm like, why? Why would you ever think that was okay? <laughs> Did you try that? I'm just eat? curious. Are you kidding? No, it's called Black Widow. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, so there is this difference. I think that 
we often overlook as consumers. And that's not really our fault because, first of all, if you go into your local drugstore, you will see a vitamin aisle. It will say vitamins, but then it has all sorts of different products. GNC or the vitamin shop. Shop mm-hmm. Papa with two P's and an E. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not just vitamins. That would be a very small store if it was just vitamins. So I think that, you know, often people will, I would assume, Linda, come in and taking a whole bunch of stuff in addition to right. to vitamins and minerals. Uh, but I, one, one thing that I, I wanted to touch on that you were kind of touching on, though, is the way that you're approaching this. I think people should be aware of you're looking for deficiencies in their diet. In other words, a medical condition for which there might be a need for treatment. And then you are helping them get that treatment, whether it is through eating foods with the vitamins or in some cases, take, I would think, taking a supplement if necessary. Yes, That's very different from how most people approach vitamins, which yes. is to say, eh, if a little is essential, I might as well take a lot. Yeah. And you wouldn't do that with Tylenol. You'd have liver failure. Exactly. We would never do that. Mm. But with vitamins, somehow we just think there's no possible downside. It's only only good. Right. And, and I really encourage people to think about vitamins in the way that you would an over-the-counter or prescription drug, where you're taking it for a medical reason. And if you don't have a need for it, then you should ask yourself, why are you taking it? Exactly. Yeah, I agree. You're yeah. listening to Where We Live Here. The number is 860-275-7266. Um, so uh, we are talking with uh, Catherine Price. She's a journalist and author of several books, including Vitamania, How Vitamins Revolutionize the Way We Think About Food. Uh, we're also speaking with Linda York. She's a a registered dietitian and certified diabetes educator at uh, UConn Health. Uh, once again, the number to call 860-275-7266. Um, maybe now's the time to talk about multivitamins. So, so Linda, I'll start with you. Um, if someone comes in and says, I want to take a multivitamin, uh, what do you say to them? I usually don't have a problem with that. Um, it, they're eating pretty, you know, that balanced diet. Um, sort of as an insurance thing. But aside from that, I don't think you need to take additional vitamins, maybe calcium and vitamin D postmenopausal. But this is just for your average person, a person with no medical conditions. So Catherine might feel differently about that, but um, usually I don't have a problem with a multivitamin. Catherine, do you, how do you feel about that? I don't really have problems with uh, the multivitamin, but I think, and I think Linda's saying the same thing, before mm-hmm. taking the multivitamin, you should right. look at what you're actually eating. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think one thing we often overlook is that there's so much fortification in the American food it's supply true. that in many cases, we're already eating a multivitamin. For example, if you're eating, say, total cereal or, or uh, drinking sports drinks or eating protein bars that have had lots of stuff added, added to them, you very well, I mean, you're eating synthetic vitamins the same way you'd have them if you took them as a pill. And so when I talk to people, people often ask me, should I take a multivitamin? And my, my answer is first, the same thing I said to you about breakfast. Well, okay, well, I don't know. I can't, there's no way I can tell you because I don't know what you're eating. So maybe you're eating like the cover of a Michael Pollan book and you're totally fine. <laughs> um, maybe the exception of, say, vitamin D, which is actually really hard to get right. adequate amounts of from food. So you're fine and you're also getting all sorts of other great stuff from foods that we don't know the details of, like whatever else is in an orange or a leaf of spinach, right? Then you have people who are eating such poor diets that they actually might legitimately need supplementation if you're eating foods that are, are nutritionally um, empty and have not been fortified. But then there's this big middle category that encompasses a lot of the population where we're eating maybe not the best diet all the time, but we're eating a lot of foods that have had vitamins added back and minerals added back into them. And in that case, I would say it's probably not going to hurt you to take a multivitamin, but it might not be as necessary. And and I would almost focus more on trying to incorporate more of these naturally nutrient-dense foods into your diet, just because a vitamin pillar of a multivitamin is not going to contain the other stuff that's in 
kale, right? <laughs> it's just going to contain, contain vitamins and minerals. With that said, I mean, I think that in general, that's not a that's not going to be a harmful dose for people. But I do also like to point out that there's, thanks to uh, lobbying by the dietary supplement industry, there's no definition of what a multivitamin is. And so every product can have different vitamins in different amounts and different formulations. So it's just something for consumers to be aware of that one product is not going to be the same as another. Yeah. And um I find it interesting that vitamins, um, in the beginning, it was to prevent deficiencies, and that's now it's changed to prevent a lot of the chronic diseases. So the whole shift in focus was interesting. Well, and it almost seems like this this shift from prevention, uh, in, in some cases, to enhancement. I mean, Catherine's talking about yeah. Black Widow. I think in her book yeah. she describes another supplement called C. Buckthorn Force. Yeah. Uh, these are these are these are. I mean, you're you're shrugging like what yeah. what is that? And I'm, yeah. yeah, I don't you know. You don't know what's in it. <laughs> right. um, is there a standard of identity? Is anybody really is are the ingredients exactly what is truly in that? supplement. It's kind of scary when you think of that. Uh, So you're listening to Where We Live. The number to call, 860-275-7266. I want to go to the phones here for a few minutes. Um, Eric in Hamden, uh, you're on Where We Live. Hi, Eric. Uh, Good morning. Great topic. Um, I'm curious about the food supply, even if you're trying to eat a natural and healthy diet, um, with the degradation, uh, you know, with uh, uh, factory farming um, and uh, the uh, loss of uh, healthy soil, um, and, and and then you also have to remember on the East Coast, especially, you know, I think a dirty secret is that the very few um, soils don't have a certain amount of lead in them. So, with 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 that um, kind of as an underlying premise, is it possible that our food supply itself has become less effective at produce at at providing the vitamins we need? And the other point is, if it's if it's a placebo, but it works. Why not do it? Uh, thanks, Eric, for the call. Um, I, I guess we'll start with the first point, uh, Linda, which is that um, I'm sure patients come into you and say eating eating healthy can be really expensive. Um, yeah, so, they so what do you do say, say to that? that. Um, I try to dispel that because um, I, you know, of course, this plate shows half of your plate is um, fruits and vegetables. You can use frozen, just as good as fresh. Okay. I give them places where they can purchase uh, food where it's a lot cheaper. There's also food share sites. So it doesn't have to be fresh um, when it comes to the fruits and vegetables. Mm -hmm. So, and that's the one area they're always concerned about. You can get lean protein sources from eggs and chicken. You can Purdue chicken, which is frozen, skinless. I mean, there are other ways to get everything on the plate. I know what he was saying about the soil and everything. Um, I don't think wheat flour is the same as it was 100 years ago. If we could all eat like 100 years ago, we would be eating a lot better. Um, Mm. But unfortunately, chemicals have seeped in. And uh, so it's um, I'm not an expert on this. But if you know where your food is coming from, it really helps. That said, that's not easy to do. And and Catherine, to uh, Eric's second point about the placebo effect, um, so if, I, if I'm feeling better when I'm taking it, uh, what's wrong with that? I think the placebo effect is incredibly powerful. I mean, we know that, right? So I think that's definitely worth talking about. But when you have a placebo in a controlled trial, the placebo is not a drug by definition. If you're taking massive doses of vitamin C, that's not a placebo. You might have the placebo effect where it's not actually doing what you think it's 
doing, but you think it's doing it. So you like maybe your immune system is better for colds. That that was horribly phrased what I just said. But my point is it's not a sugar <laughs> pill. Mm-hmm. You can't have a placebo yeah. that's actually an active chemical compound. So a, a vitamin by definition can't be a placebo, if that makes sense. So if you can convince yourself that swallowing like a, a regular gummy bear that doesn't have vitamins in it, if you're going to convince yourself that doesn't give you, it prevents colds and then you don't get colds, I'd be in support of that kind of placebo. <laughs> but I think it's very dangerous to take massive amounts of vitamins and assume that that's the same as taking a sugar pill. Well, and it's also tough uh, to study all this stuff, I would imagine. Just studying food in general is 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 difficult, right? Yeah, you can't uh, do a trial where one group is eating broccoli and the other is not eating broccoli and the second group isn't aware that they're not eating broccoli. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And every food contains a, a, a blend of all these substances. And obviously, we need to eat every day. So the idea of doing a long-term randomized controlled trials it's extremely difficult. Nutrition is extremely difficult to study. And that's why I kind of recommend people take a, a step back and maybe try not to get so lost in the weeds. I mean, to Eric's first question about the soil, yes, that it, it is true that there are changes taking place in the quality of our food supply. But um, I think that there are bigger questions we should be asking first. And then if you do have the ability and privilege to buy organic foods or to buy things that were grown locally or to grow your own food, which actually is quite economical, um, then I think that that's worth looking into. But I think there's bigger questions we should be asking first. You're listening to Where We Live. I'm Patrick Scahill in for Lucy Nalpathanchel. The number again, 860-275-7266. Um, we're going to get out of this segment pretty soon, uh, but Linda, I don't think we can until we talk about folic acid. Um, so talk a bit about that and the importance that it has to uh, certain individuals at certain life stages. Uh, yes, uh, folic acid um, is recommended for anyone thinking about becoming pregnant or um, if you are pregnant because it has relationship with uh, preventing the neural tube uh, defects that occurred um, without it. So um, we definitely recommend that. Um, for anyone thinking about becoming pregnant or anyone who is pregnant. And once they are pregnant, we recommend the prenatal vitamins um, for those women as well. And I guess I, I throw this out to, to both of you. Um, but uh, So I, I'm, I'm in the process right now of uh, becoming a father pretty soon, and, and both my wife and I are, are, are concerned, about, concerned about this stuff. Yeah. So, so what do new moms need to know about uh, taking vitamins and, um, and supplements, either for themselves or for their soon-to-be infant? I'll start with you, Linda. Um, the prenatals. Prenatals, yeah. 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 And I'm sure that um, your wife is taking that. Um, you know, physicians definitely recommend that, and it's important. So, and then just eating right, you know. And, and Catherine? Well, I would say for folic acid, that is really important in the yeah. very early yeah. stages because the neural tube closes before many neural tube becomes the baby's spinal and like nervous system and it and it closes before many people even know they're pregnant so that's why it's really important to emphasize the folic acid before you become pregnant even though it's actually been added to enriched flour since I think 97 right. so yeah. anyway but once you have the baby the thing I like to remind people is that breast milk does not pass along very much vitamin D and so that I think it's a time when it could be especially useful to actually take a vitamin D supplement and vitamin D again it's a really weird one it's actually more of a hormone and I believe we weren't actually supposed to get it from our diets because there's very few foods that naturally contain a lot of vitamin D with like fish liver being the highest one. We were meant to get it from, uh, create it with the help of sunlight. And since we don't get as much sun as we used to, that's a tough one. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, this is Where We Live. I'm Patrick Scahill in for Lucy and Alpathanchel. We're going to go to a break now, and we'll be back uh, in the next segment. Uh, you can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. Email where we live at wnpr.org, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. We're joined today by Catherine Price, uh, author of Vitamania, How Vitamins Revolutionize the Way We Think About Food, and Linda York. She's a registered dietitian and certified diabetes educator at UConn Health. We'll be back after the break. This is Where We Live. I'm Patrick Scahill, and for Lucy Nalpathanchel, today we are talking about vitamins. Joining me from the studios of WHYY in Philadelphia is Catherine Price. Her newest book is called How to Break Up with Your Phone. We have more info on our website, wnpr.org. Today, she's talking about another great book that she's written called Vitamania, How Vitamins Revolutionize the Way We Think About Food. And we're also joined here in the studio by Linda York. She's a registered dietitian and certified diabetes educator at UConn Health. Um, we have a lot of people that are calling in that want to talk about uh, vitamins. I want to start with, and our number again, 860-275-7266, 860-275-7266. Um, I want to start with uh, Vienna. Hopefully I'm saying your name right uh, from Glastonbury. You're on where we live. Hi. <laughs> Good morning. And uh Thank you for bringing up a very interesting topic. Uh, I just wanted to quickly share an experience I had of inadvertently essentially overdosing with vitamin Bs by taking as a uh, menopausal woman a uh, estrogen, a multivitamin, um, a B complex pill. And then, of course, uh, and because I'm an athlete, I was also using, the, as you stated earlier, the uh, various protein bars and energy drinks. And it wasn't until I went to my doctor with, and uh, an annual physical showed up some problems with my liver that we really traced it back to the sum of bees that I was taking. So, Linda, what, what, do, you, what do you say to that? Well, that's a surprising thing, and um, I'm glad that you talked to your doctor about it and that he found that. Um, uh, so is it, is it possible to, to take too, too many vitamins? I mean, is, is that a thing, these, think, these so-called megadoses, taking too much, can yeah, that have ill effects? Yeah. And I think especially in the fat-soluble, um, maybe Catherine can talk about this with the B vitamin. Um, I don't usually think of them as being toxic because they're usually flushed out of the system. Well, I know one example that you give in your book, Catherine, is is vitamin A, and there was an Arctic yeah. expedition, and and someone was eating. Uh, this is, and I apologize in advance. This mm-hmm. this is sort of gross, but they were in a bad situation mm-hmm. and had a. Well, you you kind of take the story from there. Are you going to make me talk about eating huskies? Thanks. Well, let's let me. I'm going to take. I'm going to take a further. <laughs> Further step back here and say, just to yeah. clarify, so fat-soluble vitamin means a vitamin you need fat in order to absorb, and the water-soluble is water. I mean, it's soluble in water. And that is one reason it's actually very important to get fat in your diet, because you can't absorb a lot of these nutrients without having fat to absorb it. The issue is that when you have a vitamin that is fat-soluble, the when you eat fat, the fa- type of fat you eat actually gets directly incorporated into the, some, your cells. So you actually end up potentially storing way too much uh, vitamins in your 
in your body, and mm-hmm. that can be an issue. They're, you're not going to flush them out in your urine is what I'm trying to say here, whereas water-soluble vitamins you can flush out in your urine. That's why a lot of people will say, oh, no big deal. I can take megadoses of vitamin C or, or whatever else. And I don't know in your particular case um, if it was just the B vitamins or if it's possible there was something else in those products you were taking. That's a whole separate issue that we can talk about. But when, when I talk to people about water-soluble vitamins and the idea of safe doses, I like to use the analogy of a houseplant where you know that a houseplant obviously needs water. You're going to water it just as we need a certain amount of vitamins. But if you put way too much water in the the houseplant, sure, eventually it's going to get so saturated that water is going to come out the bottom of the plant. So you could, or the pot, and you could say, "Oh, okay, that's that means that it's fine to just keep watering and watering and watering because it'll keep come out coming out the bottom." But that doesn't take into account the possible effects of those roots being constantly saturated by soggy water. And in the same way, I don't think we necessarily know the long-term effects of saturating our body's systems with things like vitamin C. I mean, if you're peeing it out in your urine, that means your body can't absorb any more of it. And I think that that's, that's concerning. I don't think that that's a good um, goal for us to be, or, or to, to reassure ourselves by saying, oh, it's just going to come out in our urine. And I, and I see you nodding, Linda. Yeah, and I think, um, yeah, just making sure you eat right and have, um, if you want to take a multivitamin, that's fine. But to overdo it with the B vitamins, what good thing will it do? I don't think. And it could possibly have some negative effects, like uh, Catherine said, uh, farther down the road that we don't know about. You're listening to Where We Live. I'm uh, Patrick Scahill in for Lucy Nalpothanchel. Uh, one other guest that we want to welcome in uh, right now is Dr. Uh, Howdy Buis. He's founder of Harvest Plus. They're a Washington, D.C.-based organization that uses traditional plant breeding methods to increase the nutritional content of staple crops. Um, and we should actually note that Harvest Plus was uh, recently awarded a $15 million grant from the MacArthur Foundation. Uh, Dr. Howdy Buis, thanks uh, for coming on Where We Live, and welcome to the show. Hello, thanks for having me. Uh, so talk about this idea of biofortification. What, what does that mean? Well, the, the basic idea is to um, use conventional plant breeding to breed in more vitamin A, iron, and zinc into the staple foods that poor people in developing countries eat in large amounts day after day. And so maybe give me some examples of work you have done to fortify certain crops in certain areas of the world to uh, ensure that folks are getting the micronutrients, the vitamins, uh, and everything else that they need in their diet. Right. So I I think it's probably useful to talk a little bit about the underlying problem that biofortification is trying to address. So in the United States, we've been talking on this program about diets where Americans spend maybe 10% of their budgets on food. The poor in developing countries spend 80% of their budgets on food. So they can buy, uh, with that 80%, they can buy a basic food staple. So, for example, in Africa, corn, maize is the basic food staple. But they simply can't afford vegetables, fruits, and, and certainly can't afford many animal products. So they're quite deficient in lots of vitamins and minerals. And the three that are major public health problems are deficiencies in vitamin A and iron and zinc. So what Harvest Plus has done, it's developed over a 10-year period. We've developed orange varieties of corn. Africans eat white corn. There's no vitamin A in white corn. But... Um, the orange varieties have very high levels of vitamin A. So if we can get 
a substitution one for one of Africans growing and eating orange maize instead of the white maize, we can eliminate a lot of the vitamin A deficiency in Africa. And so this gets to that idea of, of I think you call it hidden hunger, uh, and this is a situation right. where an individual is um, maybe getting the amount of calories they need. They might be eating and feel full when they're done eating, but they're not getting, as you say, maybe the vitamin A that they need. And that can lead to, particularly in, in younger children, um, uh, very, very severe conditions, correct? Right. So 30 years ago, nutritionists, we were, we're talking about vitamin A supplements. And nutritionists undertook trials 30 years ago, and they found that they could reduce child mortality by an average of 23% by giving a high dose of vitamin A once every six months to preschool children. And that was so effective that over the last 20 years, 10 billion, that's with a B, 10 billion vitamin A supplements have been given out in developing countries. And they have saved millions of lives this way. And talk a bit about how you're actually breeding the crops to do this. So this is conventional breeding versus uh, trans- transgenic work, or, or just kind of des- describe the difference there and, and what it is that you're actually doing at Harvest Plus. Correct. So the conventional plant breeding uh, takes a high-yielding variety, say a white maize, uh, that's attractive to African farmers because you know there's a, a good profit with that white maize. Uh, we found various uh, mazes around the world, such as in Thailand, that were orange in color that had high levels of vitamin A. And you simply cross them. And over time, it's really, it takes, it's a 10-year cycle. Uh, We've been able to develop, we've been able to combine the high yields with the high pro-vitamin A levels. Um, It's just your Mendelian genetics that you learn about in, uh, in high school. And so as we noted at the start of this segment, um, or at the start of this talk here, Harvest Plus, you uh, recently received a $15 million grant from the MacArthur Foundation. Um, what does that mean for your, for your work going forward? Well, the, um, the plant breeding that I've described, that took about 10 years. Um, we've been working on 10 different crops. Uh, we've released 290 varieties in 30 countries around the world in about um, four or five years from now, they'll be available in another 30 countries. Uh, we've done all the nutritional studies that show that uh, when people eat these, when they're deficient, um, it improves their status and we improve functional outcomes such as better cognitive performance, better work performance. We've done all that over the last 10 to 12 years. We Now the huge job that we have is to get adoption by farmers. We need to... Um, multiply seed, we need to have demonstration plots, Uh, we need to explain why orange varieties are more nutritious because they have vitamin A in them. So it's this huge effort to scale up. And uh, this is what the MacArthur Grant is for, is for scaling up the vitamin A maize. We have high iron beans in Africa um, and other crops that are more nutritious. Now we have this huge job of, um, of getting farmers to adopt them and consumers to eat them. We hope that by 2030, one, pe- one billion people around the world will be eating these uh, biofortified crops. 
Uh, Dr. Howie Buis is founder of Harvest Plus. They're a Washington, D.C.-based organization using traditional plant breeding methods to increase the nutritional content of staple crops around the world. Uh, Dr. Buis, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, Catherine, uh, I, I just want to throw it back to you here for the last couple minutes that we have. Um, as Dr. Buis is talking about his work, um, what jumps out to you? Uh, well, I think there's I mean, a lot of things jump out. I think we just don't often recognize in America that there are millions, billions of people around the world that don't have adequate access to vitamins and that vitamin A deficiency in particular is killing, I mean, hundreds of thousands of kids a year around the globe. And interestingly, uh, it used to we used to think that vitamin A deficiency was just it would just cause night blindness. Not like that's not a big deal, but the inability to see at night. And as he was alluding to, there was a revelation 20 or 30 years ago that was actually a rediscovery of a revelation from the 20s that actually vitamin A is essential to our immune system. So anyway, it's amazing work that they're doing. Um, the, the thing that just stands out to me in general about our conversation, though, is that we probably should touch on regulation. Uh, yeah. <laughs> in the last couple of minutes, just so you have two minutes, explain a, a century of uh, FDA regulation on this. Okay, two minutes. Well, I think <laughs> I would basically say that uh, that consumers just should be aware that the way that vitamins and supplements are regulated is probably not the way that you would think they would be, which is to say that thanks to very heavy lobbying by the dietary supplement industry, there is a law that was passed in 1994 that prevents the FDA from actually requiring any of the dietary supplements on the market from being uh, tested for efficacy or safety before they're sold. And it is extremely difficult for the FDA to get a product that is known to be dangerous off the shelves. So I think it's very much, I know it's very much a case of caveat emptor when it comes to dietary supplements. And and to clarify again, this refers to vitamin C and it refers to the Black Widow Extreme. Those are regulated in exactly the same way. And, and they're in particular categories to be very careful about are bodybuilding and weight loss and sexual enhancement supplements because those are very often found to be adulterated with, uh, an- with prescription drugs or analogs. A prescription drugs. So people really should beware when they start taking these pills. Well, and Linda, again, so Catherine's saying buyer beware, and you're saying food first approach to these types of, to getting the nutritional content that you need. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. And um, it's kind of scary to think that they're not regulated uh, by the FDA. So it's sort of the wild west out there when it comes to buying a lot of vitamins. I just wanted to ask Catherine, then how do you know you have a good multivitamin? It's very difficult. And and technically speaking, they are regulated. The dietary supplement industry loves to jump on that. So just to clarify, it's just they're not regulated the way any person with any modicum of common sense would think they should be. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But to find a good multivitamin, I recommend that consumers go to a third-party organization uh, such as ConsumerLab.com, which actually pulls products off the shelves. And and there's another one, a USP, and then there's something called LabDoor.com. And these are basically third-party organizations that verify that products contain what they say. They do not verify that the products are are efficacious or that they're safe. That's not their purview. But they at least will try to help assure consumers that the products contain what they say. Catherine Price, journalist, author of several books, including Vitamania, How Vitamins Revolutionize the Way We Think About Food. Uh, This has been such an interesting hour. I want to say thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. And Linda, thank you so much for coming on. Linda York, registered dietitian and certified diabetes educator at UConn Health. Linda, thanks. Thank you. It's been Uh, fun. I'm Patrick Scahill. Where We Live is produced by senior producer Lydia Brown and producer Carmen Baskoff. Our technical producer is Kyon Wolf. Thanks for listening.